Hello, Jim Jeffries. Hello. You were supposed to do this last week and you got sick. Well, I, I keep losing my voice all the time. I'd like to blame it on doing too many shows, but I, it's probably extra activities that have caused that. I'll blame myself. So how badly did you lose it? Oh, I lost it completely for like two days. Yeah, I was Were you like, having to write notes? Um, I started writing notes, yeah, because I just I had to get back to doing gigs, and if I can't speak, then I can't work, can I? Did you have to cancel gigs? No, I didn't cancel any gigs. I, I actually had two days off. That was the two days off I had during the run. That's nice. That's like your body knew, yeah. held out. Yeah. Every time I do the Edinburgh Festival or something like that, I get sick the day after it finishes. Really? It's like my body goes, ah, all right, fuck yeah, it's over. And then it just shuts down, and I get really sick. But I can take drugs and smoke and drink right up until that moment. <laughs> I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Have you started preparing for that? Do you get Lemsips ready? No, no, I just get sick. Just deal with it, you know. I've had swine flu and all sorts. Really. Yeah? Yeah, it's not that bad, swine flu. What's it, when you get into this building, the security guy stops you and you're thinking, oh, he's going to check my bag. No, you get hand sanitizer. He's yeah. in the building. <laughs> every day. Why is that? I think because we had a couple of outbreaks. And then on every single desk, there's a little hand sanitizer. It wasn't like that when we were kids, though, was it? <laughs> no. When we were kids, you could just roll around in feces and no one would stop you. And you just took a couple of Panadols or whatever and you got back to it. But that's why the swine flu didn't kill you. Exactly. It's all these people who keep their kids and they sanitize bottles. and You meant to give them germs. Give them, put your finger in their mouths. Give them germs. It builds up a defence. This whole premise that if you go to the toilet, you're meant to wash your hands after you have a piss. You should wash your hands before you have a piss. All day you're touching money and on shaking hands and there's germs all over you. Then you touch your cock, right? You know where your cock's been. That's true. You know what I mean? Your cock's been with... You know, it's been in your pants. It's probably the least exposed part of your body, right? And we're, we're worried about this, touching that part. It's completely hygienic. That never occurred to me. You could eat dinner off my cock, I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't want to ask whether anyone's tried. Uh, um, so... it, w- it wouldn't be a big meal. <laughs> it would it'd be a, a couple of chips, like next to each other, not long, <laughs> not, not long ways. A <laughs> couple of chips next to each other. British chips. Oh, yeah. Big not, ch- not French fries. Chunky wedges, <laughs> I'm telling you. It's a stocky bastard. <laughs> It's like one of those doormen that you think, oh, he must be able to handle himself. He's not that tall, but he's he's got a bit of size. Yeah, you know. Do you know what my old boss used to say? What? Short and thick does the trick. Does he? Is that what your old it boss was used to say? Oh, yeah. It was a she. I was a she. My landlady at the pub. Your landlady at the pub. <laughs> yeah. That was your old boss. Yes. Oh, okay. The short and thick does the trick. <laughs> it stuck. So the- Shallow and thin. Keeps me in. How about that? <laughs> doesn't quite uh, work though. Shallow and thin. Keeps me in. That's all right. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, the yeah, other way around. That's the one right. for girls. Shallow and thin <laughs> keeps me in. And then you could have uh, wide and deep puts me to sleep. I don't know. There, there'd be something you could do for, for that one. I'm not a poet. We should bring out some greetings cards. Some greeting cards for genitalia. Yeah. So you're in the middle of this UK tour at the moment. Yes. And is it nice to be back in the UK? It's wonderful. It's, it's weird because I used to be the worst. England basher ever. You lived here for a long time. Oh, yeah. I lived here for eight years and I was that Australian guy that was like, food's so much better in Australia. Oh, the weather's so. I was that guy for eight years, right? Whinging prick, really. And then I got over to America and, oh, isn't it wonderful? I live on Venice Beach and it's all very nice and the weather's great and there's cheese on everything. 
and there's plentiful ice. And then when I came back here, I got really excited about things like Greg's pasties. And I got really excited by salad cream. Nowhere else in the world has salad cream. And putting baked beans with breakfast. <laughs> you say that to Americans and they just look at you like you're meant. And then like the Premier League, I just, oh, I've become really. It's that, that thing is whenever you go to Spain and you see like a guy who owns a bar who's English in Spain, he's always the fucker with the picture of the queen on the wall. You know what I mean? People become more English after they leave. So have you found that now? Yeah, I, so yeah, 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 yeah. I'm proper British now. I, and I, I don't consider myself Scottish, Welsh or Irish either. I consider myself English, even though I'm Australian. Because I, I, the Welsh just annoy me. Why? Oh, they're just, just boring. Just that little voice, that singy, songy shit they go on with. They just, they're a simple folk. And, you know, I, I've, I've got no... The reason I say this is because there's no uh, Welsh dates on the tour. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter if I sell tickets. Yeah, Scottish people, I don't mind as much. Chippy sauce, man. You put brown sauce with vinegar. Those people in Edinburgh, they've got it sorted, man. Deep fry everything. Why wouldn't it be great? I want to ask about LA, the stand-up scene. We've had a couple of people on the podcast who have um, either lived there or gone over there to do shows. Right. And they've all said that generally the stand-ups in L.A. suck. Yeah, L.A.'s not good for stand-up. No, I don't really work in L.A. very much. I do five minutes here, five minutes there. But I, I'm working on the road uh, three days a week. So do you do big tours of America? Well, I, I, like just work, I just work every week. But it's a different set-out to here. So I, I do, like, rock clubs and theatres. And if I'm doing a comedy club, it's still me doing an hour and a half. And I'll have a support act doing, like, 10, 15 minutes. It's not like here where you just show up to the comedy club and you wonder who might be on. The problem with LA is it's the fucking actors. They get in the way. There's all these people, and some of them are famous actors as well, who might be between movies and they go, oh, I've got to keep myself busy. I might do a bit of stand-up, which I find quite insulting, really, because, you know, as me and all my mates would work for years to get capable at it. So they get up and sort of use their fame and, and just sort of, hey, oh, what's all that about? And then you got these other people who want to be actors or TV presenters and stuff, and they see stand-up as like just uh, something to put on their showreel. So the problem you get is a lot of posing, a lot of guys who have watched a lot of stand-up and are mimicking other stand-ups, and uh, not not a lot of uh, originality or creativity going on there. But doesn't that mean it's really fun to do stand-up there because you totally wipe the floor? No, with all because of them. the thing is, you don't get paid in LA. To do stand up. Don't you? No, not at all. No one gets paid. It doesn't matter how big you are. Because the thing is, let's say you own uh, the improv or the comedy store in Los Angeles. Someone like Sarah Silverman, who's getting ready for a tour, will just go down there and do five minutes here, five minutes there, uh, just to try out new material. So if she's doing it for free, how can I ask for money? And you know what I mean? I was on a bill the other day that was me, Tom Wilson, and Adam Sandler. And uh, if you don't know who Tom Wilson is, Biff from Back to the Future. No way. Yeah, oh yeah, he's a good guy, man. He's in that movie The Informant. You wouldn't even know it's him, the one with Matt Damon. But he's a he's a big sort of chunky guy now. He's old, you know. He's got like grey hair and and he's a guitar act. You never would have picked him as a guitar act. Wow. Tom Wilson, man. Is and he funny? He is funny, yeah. But it's a lot of jokes about being on Back to the Future. Oh, really? Well, he has to because people are yelling out Biff the whole time he's on stage. The guy has a hell of a life. Like everywhere he goes, he's getting people running up with their phones going, I'd oh, tell my friend he's a butthead or, you know, 
make like a tree and get out of here, as, as Biff said. I was, I've met lots of celebrities in my time, but that was the first time that I went, Biff from Back to the Future. Are you hanging out with celebs now? Well, see, this is the weird thing. I had these two people that I went to school with who I never would have hung out with in my life again if it wasn't for things like Facebook. And so they sort of went, oh, we're coming out to Los Angeles. It'd be great if we could hook up. And I went, all right, fine. And so we go out on a Monday and I take them out to the Rainbow Room and the Viper Lounge and all those type of little kitschy places. And then one of them said to me, he goes, oh, I, I thought you were famous. And I went, what? He goes, well, we've been following you on the on the internet. We, we thought people would be coming up to you. And I said, well, I'm, I got my own HBOs, but, but I, you, you wouldn't know me unless you're into stand-up comedy. And I felt really shit about myself. You know how people can do that? You're like, oh, that's terrible. I feel really crap about myself. And then I just, for the first time, I was actually sitting there going, come on, one person, come up and notice me. Just one, just to teach these guys from school, you know what I mean? Please, anyone, right? Nothing happened. So at two o'clock in the morning, we leave the club and we're walking across the street. We're on Sunset Boulevard. There's no cars around, nothing. One car stops in the middle of the road. And it's this one bloke and it's filled with sort of hot chicks, this car in the back and in the front, right? And this guy winds down the window and puts his head out and goes, Jim. Your HBO special is the best thing I've seen on TV in years. And I went, thanks, Ron Jeremy. So that was... Were they suitably impressed? Yeah, Ron Jeremy, man. (laughs) I would prefer Ron Jeremy than Brad Pitt doing that. I'm telling you. Ron's a good guy. Ron's all Ron? Yeah. I know I've met him several times. Oh, really? He's mad into comedy. He's the worst stand-up comedian in the world, Ron Jeremy. He's terrible. He does jokes like... He gets up and he, uh, he goes, Oh... I was thinking of having sex tonight. Better bring a condom. And he pulls a garbage bag out of his thing, right? And just, he goes, do you want to see an Eskimo ejaculating? And he pulls ice out of someone's drink and chucks it. Like, horrible, horrible Ron Jeremy at comedy. But do people love him because he's Ron Jeremy? It's just, you know, you know why Ron Jeremy's famous, don't you? Because everyone sort of goes, why is this ugly guy who does porn? The main reason that stands Ron Jeremy out from every other male porn star that's ever lived is Ron Jeremy sucked his own dick. In a scene in the 70s, Ron Jeremy sucked his own dick. And it hasn't been done since or before. The guy's in... He didn't have to bend far either. It was just a little head tilt. Have you ever seen it? Never. It looks dodgy. I know of it. It looks dodgy. It doesn't look right. (laughs) And the thing is, I asked him, I said, Oh, Ron, can you still suck your dick? And he goes, Nah, I'm too fat now. Yeah, and so all these times that these men have gone, oh, if I could suck my dick, I wouldn't leave the house. You know that comment, everyone says that. Yeah, you would. You get hungry, don't you? (laughs) There's more to life than just sucking your own dick, it turns out. And Ron's proved it. Ron's proved it. He's a weird little little greasy looking man. He's really cheap. He has, uh, he drives a satin. The guy's got to be worth millions. He drives like a really crap car. And I just, you know, I don't know. You mentioned the HBO special. Yeah. So this is, it's quite a big deal in America, and you're one of only five people who aren't Americans that's done one. Yeah, I, I, well, I know Ricky Gervais did one this year as well. Eddie Izzard, Omar Dalili, <laughs> and that's it. As far as, like, there's probably been a lot of Canadians, if that counts. Non-North Americans. Yeah, yeah. non-North Americans. How did that come about? Because that's, you know. I just fucking, I'm the luckiest guy, man. I, I don't know how it happened. It was... I went over there, I was supporting uh, Dennis Leary for a while, and I got in with um, some guys called Opie and Anthony, who are like the second biggest radio show in the world, right, next to Howard Stern. It's on, it's on cable, I think. And I, I started doing their show a lot, and I became like a little bit of a, 
I got quite a following off this radio show. Now, there's a guy on it called uh, Jim Norton, and Jim Norton was hosting a show called Down and Dirty, which was basically Comedy Blue, which aired over here on Comedy Central. You know, comics can say whatever they want type of thing. And it was, everyone's doing five minutes. And I smashed that up. Really, it was like the best TV spot I'd ever done. And um, then they just went, oh, do you want a half-hour special? And my agent just sort of went, give him an hour. He's, oh, he's, he's so famous in the UK. Like, they just lied a little bit about it. And then all of a sudden, fucking bam, I got one. So I went, all right. I felt like a fraud the whole time. Don't worry about that. I've never had that thing where you're designing a set and then you have like a backstage pass with a picture of your head on it. You know, unbelievable. So what was it? There was uh, a few little rules. I couldn't say cunt for uh, 15 minutes. <laughs> that was like, you can swear all you want on HBO, but they said, I oh, don't say cunt for 15 minutes. Okay. Because the Americans are very precious about that. Why mark. 15 minutes? Because the ratings go like this. They go the opening ratings and then your 15 minute mark is your more important ratings. That means that people have stayed, right? And uh, I had actually zero dropout at 15 minutes. Hell of a lot of dropout at five minutes, but nothing at 15. So I had a light at the back of the room that turned on at 15 minutes. <laughs> that was the cunt light. Yeah, it was the cunt light. <laughs> it was the cunt light. So I could, I could go, oh, excellent. If you watch that DVD, man, at like 15 minutes, five, 15 minutes, six or something like that, I say my first cunt. And I just, I don't make a big example of it. I just slip it in there. And they don't notice. They, they already like me. So. <laughs> was that like a personal little... Yes. Well, the thing is, the Americans... No, I'm the only comic, really, that I can think of in America that gets away with saying it on a regular basis. Even the real dirty comics don't say it. And the only reason I get away with it is um, they just think I don't know any better. They think, oh, bless, he's foreign, isn't he? Dumb foreign person. What's he doing? So stupid and foreign. And the reaction was good. I mean, presumably, if Ron Jeremy yeah, is pulling yeah, up in the street was, to shout it out. It, it went, went across pretty good. I think it uh, rated reasonably well, and the DVD selling very well. The good thing is they replay the fuck out of these things. They just keep putting them on and on and on. So I got better reviews than some of the other ones, but then when they, they announced the Emmy nominations for uh, Best Comedy Special, it was still Will Farrell, Chris Rock, George Carling, and, and I was like, it doesn't matter how good it is you still got to be slightly famous to get into that type of league of where they're going to start noticing you on that scale. Well, are you making moves to do that? Are you trying to get into movies? I'm trying, and... I'm trying to get into movies. I go for auditions. i got a couple of scripts sent this week for a couple of films coming up, and I've gotten really close to a couple of movies, and then it's just the rug's been pulled away at the last second. It's really depressing, actually. Do you know who it is that's got it in the end? Oh, yeah, there was, there was one. There was one that I got really close to getting, a movie called Extract. Is it air over here? It was in the cinemas a couple of months ago back in, uh, in America. It was a Mike Judge film. And uh, it, this, this movie had Jason Bateman in it. And then I got really close and they went, ah, oh, I would decide to go with Ben Affleck. I no know. way! <laughs> I was like, if I that know. happens, you just go, okay, hands well, off. The, the thing is, what I gather is they were probably going to offer me like 30000 or something, really like nothing, like peanuts to do it. And they probably offer him three million. And I think they go, oh, well, he'll get in five million in people paying to see it. So, you know, look, look, the cunt's won an Oscar. What am I meant to do? You know what I mean? I just put my hands up and just go, oh, all right. Are you trying to get into TV stuff as well? Like sitcoms? Uh, um, uh, kind of... I, the weird thing is a comedian, this is how actors piss me off. 
if an actor wants to get into a sitcom, he just goes for auditions. You know? If a comedian wants to get into a sitcom, he has to fucking write the thing. Really? Yeah. You know what I mean, no one ever casts comedians in things. It's always created by Ray Romano or from the comedy of Jerry Seinfeld and all that stuff. So at the moment, I'm developing a script with uh, Comedy Central America. Does it matter that you have an Australian accent, not an American one? Can you do an American accent? Um, yeah. I, well, I, I go to auditions and I do an American accent for the most part. But for the moment with this sitcom that I'm writing, I'll just be have my own voice. So tell me about the one you're writing. Uh, I'm not allowed to mention I want you. It. Okay. Yeah, it's about, it, also, it's not that exciting. It's really just a sitcom with four characters. I feel, I'm, they do this a lot in Britain. I feel sometimes with sitcoms, you can be too high concept. It doesn't need to be. Like this one that's coming out at the moment, it's set in a phone shop and it's guys selling phones. And I think, you know what I mean? Like, what do you need that for? The most successful sitcoms ever were really Friends and Seinfeld. And if you broke them down, it's four people or six people living in New York saying funny things. It's more about developing the characters than developing the premise. With all of this stuff, you're not just some chancer who's gone, yeah, I want to act, because you went to theatre school. Yeah, I went to theatre school. I was in uh, musical theatre for years. I was really surprised when I found that out. <laughs> I I, it doesn't I quite sit with the Jim Jeffries image. I can't do it anymore. Well, I'd love to go back and do a bit of singing and a, a bit of that. I'd love to be in a musical if it was a movie. Would yeah. you? Yeah, Which one? Do you love musicals? Yeah, I love musicals. Do you? What's yeah, your yeah. favourite? West Side Story is still my favourite. Right. No one's ever written a better musical than West Side Story. Have you been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, the new season? I haven't seen it yet. Ah, oh, there's an Officer Crumpy episode. Amazing. Yeah. So do you watch musicals, you know, casually now? Is that? Um, I like to go and see them, yeah. But I, I don't get a lot of time, really. I'm not a big fan of the modern... Like, There's ones like, unless I know the songs, I don't want to go. So, like, you can say Priscilla, Queen of the Desert's on at the moment in London, right? I don't want to go because I, I wouldn't know one of the songs in the thing. So I, I'd rather go see My Fair Lady or something like that than these, these new ones, yeah. It does give me a mental image I wasn't I'm, expecting I'm, of you, Sam. old school with music. Tapping your toe to Les Mis. Les Mis is wonderful as well. Les Mis is, Les Mis, if you can't cry in Les Mis, you're dead inside. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you, at the end, when she, when, when he dies and the, the light, if you haven't seen it, everyone's died. No, <laughs> not everyone. A lot of people are dead at the end of that one. So what, how old were you when you, were you like a kid that was like, I want to perform? I went to the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, which is where Hugh Jackman went, mind you. He was like the guy that everyone was like, when I got there, they go, oh, we had this guy who was here who was just oh, really good. <laughs> he did musical theatre there as well. That's why he can sing and dance. And He's won Tonys in musicals, hasn't he? He's, he's a great singer. I went there at 20, maybe 21. But I'd already been singing for the Australian Opera before that when I was 18. Yeah, I was in the chorus of the opera. Oh, you know, I used to sing in the Sydney Opera House. And I've since gone back there and told cunt jokes on the same <laughs> stage as a comedian. So life goes full circle, So, it? like, at what point did you go from I'm going to be a musical? I to... wanted to be a comedian ever since I was a child. Really? And the singing thing just sort of... I was in school musicals. I was doing quite well in these musicals. And then a talent scout came along and said, oh, look, do you want to audition for the opera company, Young People's Thing? And I was just, yeah, all right, I'll give that a go. And I, I got in. And then it's one of those jobs that uh, it kept my parents off my back a lot. Because, you know, it doesn't even matter that people in musical theatre, in the chorus and in the opera, they don't earn a good living at all. But it was still something my mum could brag at the shops about. You know what I mean? Didn't matter. The money didn't matter for that particular job. And then uh, I was in university and I thought, uh, I really wanted to be a stand-up comic. So I just started doing it. Do you remember your first gig? 
Um, well, actually, this is a weird one. So I started doing comedy at 23. And um, yeah, it was just after the year 2000, right? But I, the truth of the matter is I did two open spots that I didn't tell anyone about when I was 17. Where were they and how were they? They were in Sydney and one of them went really well. Was that the first one? Or the the first one and the second one went really badly. Really? And as a 17-year-old, I couldn't handle that rejection. I went home and cried. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And so it took me another six years before I'd do it again. That's a long gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But only, only two gigs, yeah. And then and once I'd build up my confidence doing all the musical theatre stuff, I was, and, and now I'm at the stage where I just, I have no rituals before I go on stage or anything. I, I, and some people go, oh, I can't eat before I go on stage. I could have one of these big turkey legs in my hand, just like, like Henry V or, or Eighth or whatever, who the fat one was. And... Um, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. And I don't get nervous before shows. And also, if they boot me off, I will sleep soundly that night. I don't, it doesn't bother me. The first time, how do I say this? All right, okay. The first time you die on stage, it'll kill you, right? It'll kill you. You'll be wiped out for a week, right? But also the first time you kill on stage, you'll walk around like the most arrogant person that has ever lived. Like just, like nothing can hurt you. A shield of arm, you know. Um, but then as it goes along, the lows get higher and the highs get lower, right? Everything sort of, you know what I mean? Now it's like, I can rip the shit out of it. Last night, I ripped the shit out of it, right? But uh, yeah, I still woke up a little bit depressed. It doesn't, you know, it's just a normal day. So I do see it like work. But if, if they booed me off, I'd still wake up in the same state. What was your material like when you started? Um, I always used to do a relative uh, amount of religious material. So I, I always started off doing that. And then there was a, a lot of, I yelled a lot more on stage and it was, uh, I'd liken it to a, an angry Michael McIntyre, if there is such a thing. Can you remember the kind of stuff you talk about? If I had a video of one of your early gigs, would yeah, you be like, yeah, that was quite funny? Uh, or I, was would you be like I was talking a lot about the 2000 Sydney Olympics because that's what just happened, I remember. But do you remember it being funny? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It... it was a lot of stuff about Ian Thorpe and questioning whether he was gay or not. Yeah, that was a big deal. I remember that being really important in my life. Uh, remember Thorpey? Uh, the, the Thorpedo. <laughs> he was the Michael Phelps of swimming before Michael Phelps. He was the one who went to the Sydney Olympics and won like four golds and Australia went mental for him. Gay as the day is long, but I, we're not allowed to say that in public because he's never come out of the closet, but everyone knows everything, right? So I used to do a lot of jokes about that. And then I used to do a lot of jokes about Jesus being a carpenter. And I did a few jokes about my dad... And when I was 17, my routine was terrible. What was it? What was it? Ah, uh, it was um, a lot of what's all that about stuff. You know what I mean? What, like yeah. shoes? Yeah, why yeah, are there yeah, two of them? Yeah, why is there two of them? Yeah. You, you know when you're at the shop and like you're there and there's a big queue, what's all that about? <laughs> you know, like really piss weak. Because I was watching a lot of Seinfeld at that stage and uh, that's what I was really into. It's weird. Everyone always goes, oh, what comics inspired you? And it's like, no one really. I started getting into watching comedy after becoming a comedian. Eddie Murphy's uh, Delirious was like a big deal for me when I was a kid. I remember watching it like, it might as well have been a porno tape. Just, it was so exciting. When my parents left, I would run and put that into the Betamax player and watch like two minutes of it. And then I bought it like a year ago and it's fucking shit. It's shit, but I remember as a kid, I thought it was the best. It's not shit as in, it, it, it was good. It's just dated horribly. 
It's just the whole thing of him in the leather outfit talking about AIDS. Like he, he talked about AIDS like uh, you only get it if you're gay and you can get it from kissing. And you know what I mean? Like you just you watch it now and you go, well, that's not right. But also when you're a kid, I remember the first stand-up I ever saw was Ben Elton talking about flip-top bins. Yeah. And I remember thinking that was literally the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my entire well, this, life. Well, this is why people like like McIntyre, like Russell Howard, all these, I won't call them bad comics, I would call them um, user-friendly comedians. I don't think they're bad comics, by the way. I think they're very good comics. But they're, uh, they're user-friendly ones will get more famous than what you call cult comics or, you know, the, the people who are comics comics. or So the best comic in the world right now is a guy called Louis C.K. in America, you know, and Steve Hughes over here is, is I saw him last night and I was blown away. And uh, you, you can't, I'm of the opinion that comedy should be all about depression and should be about life being shit and bonding in this misery, you know what I mean? Where the uplifting stuff, it is for kids. Adults don't want to be uplifted, you know what I mean? This whole idea of Russell Howard going, I was on the train the other day and there was a child and then he like had shoes on his hands. He's like, I'm fucking hand feet guy. He goes, wasn't that amazing? And like, what, does he, the kid get hurt or something? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's all I want from this. It's just a little bit, you can tickle a gibbon. Life's great. But is it? We're talking to all those people who are getting increasingly famous from there's, there's the... Been, there's been a lot of fame coming out in the Britain. I don't even remember this many comics being popular at once. It's because of all these panel shows. Yeah. Which you've done. So you moved to... When did you move to the UK? And why did you move I've to the UK? I've done a couple of them. I've never been a regular. I've done... I've done Have I Got News For You and I don't You think flirted with Moira Stewart. I thought I was really funny on that show but I don't think Paul Merton liked me. Oh really? Why not? Well I don't know. He just he wouldn't talk to me afterwards. And maybe he fancied Moira Stewart. Yeah maybe. Moira's got a bit of a twinkle in her eye that girl. <laughs> it I was know. kind of unnerving though because she's such an institution here and it's like seeing her flirting and being flirted with she, was somehow a bit she, she was confusing. Like, she was liking it though, wasn't yeah, she? Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Like everyone always goes, oh, here you, you came on to Moira Stewart. I got to tell you what, it was a two-way street, that one. <laughs> it was. It was. Moira Stewart had a little bit of an eye for me, I'm telling you. So when did you move to the UK from Australia? And why? Um, I came over in, hang on, I'll tell you when I came over. Two planes hit. Uh, buildings in New York the night before. So what year was that? It's 2001. Yeah, 2001, yeah. But why did you decide to move over? Um, I came over as a backpacker. Did you really? Uh, yeah, I was a young bloke and I, I wanted to come over and, uh, you know, see Europe. and all that. So was the stand-up nothing to so do with it? I wanted to do some stand-up, but I didn't have any work permits or anything out here. I went and did, you know, a couple of free spots and then um, a manager I'm, I'm no longer with, uh, This is, that was years ago, uh, he, uh, he he gave me a, a work permit and then I, I just stayed and stayed and then I, I developed my comedy more over here than I ever did in Australia. I'm now more famous in America than I am here and I'm more famous here than I am in Australia. Here you did have I Got News For You, 8 Out Of 10, Buzzcocks, yeah. and then also around the same time, this clip surfaced on YouTube. Of me getting punched in the head. Of you getting punched in the head. Yeah. Which was at the Manchester Comedy Store. Yeah. It's quite an odd clip because... I mean, it got millions, well, literally may, millions. May, of may, may I say that I was the person who put it up? I were so you. Everyone, everyone always goes, "Oh, this surveillance footage of Jim Jeffries getting punched." No, I, 
I remember I had a black eye and I rang my manager and I said, all right, we got, we got the uh, surveillance camera. I said, I'll send it to you, put it up on the net. And he pulled a Rocky theme before that. But what's kind of interesting about it is it's had, it's had literally millions of views. But what's interesting about it is that there's not actually that much of you on no, it. No. It kind of starts almost immediately with you just getting punched. Yeah. And then and a then bunch of guys bunch jumping of on. jumping on him and then I come out and do like, two minutes maybe at the end the background story in that is i i go into the dressing room now the uh, the guy who was opening the show was michael mcintyre this is how things have changed and michael was in the dressing room and he obviously he's such a smart ass he is funny so, but he, he's sitting there watching the tv and he knows that something happened he can hear that the room's all gone mental right and he's watching match of the day and he doesn't turn his head around and he goes so how did it go and I went, not good, Michael. I got punched in the head. And he went, no one can follow me. <laughs> still, still never checked on me, even after making his joke. And I went back out on stage. That's not the only time you've been punched, is it? On stage, it's the only time. Oh, okay. I had my skull fractured in Nottingham. Who by? That was after a really good gig as well. There's no hecklers or anything. And afterwards, I was just um, standing around talking with actually the manager of the, the venue and... Uh, a guy came up behind, grabbed me by the back of my hair and smashed my head into a table and I woke up in an ambulance. Do you know why? No, I never I never got the info on that one. Did he get arrested or anything? They chucked him out. They got the security and chucked him out and the guy just ran off into the distance. So, so you never found no, out? It was just a hit and run? No, nothing you could do. So that stuff happens and I think people tend to talk about you being more controversial than I think you are. I, came, I saw you yeah. do stand-up for the first time this summer and, and I really enjoyed it and... I kind of thought, well, you know, he's talking about some on-the-edge stuff, but this isn't, I'm, you know. It's not that bad, no. It's it's blown out of all proportion how offensive I am. But you have been, you've had your skull fractured, you got punched on stage, yeah. and it's sort of surprising that you're doing well in America, given that they seem so much more sensitive. Uh, well, the thing is, that works in my favour. Uh, if, if America wasn't so politically correct, I don't think I, I would have as good a uh, future there as I do. Whenever you have a culture of one thing, there's always a counterculture that's very adamant in, in the other direction. So it's like, I always thought I couldn't play the South of America because my anti-religious rhetoric that I go on with, right? And I sell really great in like places like Alabama. And really? Like, yeah, yeah. Do you get protesters or anything? Have I, I have done. Actually, Miami, I had, I had protesters, yeah. Did you? But that only adds ticket sales. It's If you want to sell tickets, piss off the Christians. So what do the protesters Christ, do? Christian Voice, the guy from Christian Voice, he uh, wouldn't appear on the Heaven and Earth show. With oh, this me. is in the UK? Yeah, the, the Gloria Hunter thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he wouldn't appear on the Heaven and Earth show with me. To have a debate about religion and... And he never met me. I don't think he'd even watch my um, stand-up, but he, he knew, knew where I was coming from or whatever. And he said, I wouldn't uh, be in the same room as that sick and repellent man. And then all of a sudden, every time I had posters, it was Jim Jeffrey's sick and repellent Christian voice. And it's like, it's fucking gold. <laughs> Get, getting religious people to call you that, like, that's gold. They're such idiots. So what happens with the protesters? Is it like Father Ted? Do they come oh, out with yeah, sticks saying yeah, yeah. down with I, that sort I, of thing? I had a guy um, who, who, who bought tickets to come into the show, and um, I just didn't do any religious material that night. And I, I got to, like, the one-hour mark of the show, and he just realized I wasn't going to do any. And he just stood up and went, Jesus loves you! <laughs> and you're like, really? This is what you're going to do now? That, that's, like, the last... And everyone's just, just like... Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> he just looked awkward. Did he stay afterwards? No, no, no. The bloody security went and dragged him out. And he was yelling, whatever, God will, there will be, a, you know, whatever. 
Do you they, have to be careful of I'm it? I'm worried about one of these people stabbing you. Right. The religious people, that's what I worry about. Because, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not John Lennon, right? I'm not saying that someone's going to get that passionate about me. But they kill abortion doctors and stuff. And you you just have to rub one nut. See, this is, this is going to be, if this happens to me, this will be an eerie interview right now. You know that one where John Lennon sits there and he goes, oh, you know, when I protested it with a pinch of salt because Martin Luther King and Gandhi and all these people, they all got shot. And there's that quote of him doing that now. I'm going to get stabbed. I'm so going to get stabbed. People are nuts. You know, someone's going to run in front of 500 people and punch me in the head. Sometimes when you leave in a club late at night, you think, fucking, what, what, what could someone else do? Especially if they're protesting. Sometimes when people start protesting about a certain comic or something. So I can get away with a lot more than, say, um, Jimmy Carr can because I'm not famous. So, and just to prove that, last night I did several jokes about amputee soldiers. And no one, not, not in the paper today, everything's fine. Because it's a load of fucking bullshit. You but in America, well. you're getting increasingly famous. So you went on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Are you now having to watch oh, yourself because of that I sort of thing? I didn't do a set on, on Leno. Oh, um, didn't you? I did, uh, I did a cross from the Montreal Comedy Festival, a bit of reporting. Okay. So, yeah, that was, but I'm, I'm probably going to be doing Conan in the new year, who is the new Jay Leno show. And there, it's funny, you got to do like uh, four minutes on the dot. So I went and auditioned for him. I did four minutes 30, and they went, oh, you can't go on this this year because you ran over. And I'm like, but, you know, so you just got to learn that discipline that they have. You had to change your name yeah. in America yeah, because there's someone else with a Jim Jeffries. Someone called Jim Jeffries, yeah. And so you've just stuck an extra... Just extra E in Extra E. But did they, you know, did your agents try and go, we'd like to call you Jim Sydney? Like, did they <laughs> no, kind of no, come no, up no, with... No, 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 they, they were cool with that. The thing is, we'd already made the HBO special. The only reason I had to um, register my name is because I was working on TV. As a, if I was just a comic, it wouldn't make a difference. And I've Googled this other Jim Jeffries. I, I can't find where he exists or anything. So I put an extra E in Jim Jefferies now. It's but also, is it true that you're... Because um, you've got the same agents as like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, haven't you? Yeah, I, yeah. well, yes and no. I, the same agency. Right. Which uh, is still, I mean, so presumably... The, the biggest agency in the world. Yeah. CIA, yeah. And I heard Huge. they were like a bit trying to kind of reposition you. They're trying to downplay the whole um, cunt boy aspect of me. Right. They're trying to make me more user-friendly. But, you know, it hasn't made much of a difference either way. Like, they do take care of Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and all these type of people. But there's fucking, like, a hundred agents in the building. And so I got three agents. I got a touring agent, and I got a TV agent, and I got a movie agent. And um, then we, we all go into the office and have a, a team meeting where they all sit around and they go, okay, Jim, now uh, we've all been working on this thing and I've got your gigs. My touring agent, I speak to her a lot um, because I'm constantly working, like gigging. So, you know, she, she's my go-to thing. But sometimes with the movie and the TV guy, I got to ring them up and remind them that I exist. You know, <laughs> they're too busy dealing. Like my TV guy takes care of Jamie Foxx as well. You know, I'm like, oh, all right, I know where you, I know what you're doing. But you are starting to, you know, make headway in these things and getting recognised by Ron Jeremy in the street. Does it mean you have to start in terms of your ambitions? Do you start shifting the goalposts just because? You just, I just look two months in advance, at any, or maybe six months, or you know. I never thought I'd be where I was at in life, ever. My biggest goal was to be a paid comedian. And then after you do that, you start going, oh, I wouldn't mind being on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. And then you do that, and then you know, I wouldn't mind doing this. I think that it's, it's a fast track to bitterness if you set your goals too high. 
Well, I want to be a movie star now. Right. So for a person to say set your goals too high, but that's my next step is being movies. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you know if it's only I've Ben got, Affleck I've that's got a, I've got a shot it at it. I got a shot at it, but you you know it probably won't happen. But if it does, that's very exciting. Okay, so you're going to stick about in LA for a while, yeah. and we'll see. Uh, but at the moment, you're in the UK. You're doing this tour. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in London this weekend and next weekend. Yeah. Leicester Square Theatre. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, last night was great. I got I got all fucked up and went to the Groucho Club and pulled my cock out. Did you? In front of who? Trout Butler. No. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. What was the context? I, well, I, he was in the room. I had my cock out. But Trout Butler, I, I went up and bothered him as well. And I feel really shit about it. Because I'm, I met him on the Opie and Anthony show in New York and uh, we interviewed him for 10 minutes. And I, I know from doing radio interviews myself when I'm on tour in America that you do five minutes in this room, five minutes in the next room, five minutes, and you just go around the studio building, right? He was on one of those sort of junkets. We had five, 10 minutes with him and I walked up to him like he should remember me. Oh, fucking, I feel like shit now. What like was his reaction? He was friendly and I was like... Yeah, it was really good. I was like a dribbling drunk, just, oh. You didn't get your cock out at that point? No, it was about 10 minutes later. <laughs> it was about 10 minutes later I got my cock out, yeah. It's it's one of these things I think I owe some people some apologies, but I'm just not going to call them. Fucking next time when I see him, I go, oh, we're but all drunk. Exactly. And if you apologise, people think that you've got something to apologise for and then they get annoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I, if you I, just leave it. I hate it when someone goes, <laughs> You were drunk last night. I hate that. It's like, so are you, fuckface. It's like people talk to you like like you invented being drunk. Everyone gets drunk. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> I came in here so hungover, man. How are you feeling now? I'm getting better. Yeah, I'm feeling all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've come to the end, so cool. I'm glad that we've fucked you up. So the all your dates and stuff are up on your webpage, website, and your MySpace. So the webpage is Jim Jefferies. Jefferies dot com. J E double F. And also the London shows. I think on my webpage it says starts at eight, but they actually start at seven thirty. And you've got other shows up and down the country as well. Yes, I can't tell you where. Okay, and they're all also on your MySpace, which is just MySpace dot com. I'll tell you, we've just put in an extra date because Manchester sold out. Oh, and so we've put in an extra show in Manchester on the 8th of December at the Comedy Store. The scene of your punching. The scene of my punching. <laughs> Go back and visit. Jim, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.